Welcome, crime lovers, to part two of episode 11, White Menace, the Dreaded Corolla, with your hosts, Jehan and Naz. Now let's dip into the aftermath, featuring interviews with Ali, Omer, and Gul. Remember Gul, Ali's father? So let's start with Gul Muhammad's statement. The interviewer inquired about Gul's son Ali and his alleged involvement with the white Corolla gang. However, Gul was quick to deny any connection placing the blame on the police for falsely accusing his family. Wait, so you're saying that Gul Muhammad is saying that the police is at fault here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When asked why the police would register FIRs against his son Ali, Gul responded by asserting that the police had a history of falsely registering cases against him, his older son, and now they're doing the same thing to Ali. Basically, Gul turns around and says that the police had like a long history of registering cases against them, and it started in the 70s because he was connected to political parties. It's connection to politics. Which is mm-hmm. why he's saying politics. he's being framed, basically. His family is being falsely targeted for crimes that they have not committed. Wow. This rivalry that he had with another political gang, which was very, very big and still stands very, very big in Pakistan, that killed his older son. Oh, okay. So he just perceives it as another attempt by the police to bring him and his family down. So then uh, the interviewer questioned Gul about why he did not pursue a damage claim against the police. Because if the police is falsely registering cases against them, you can counteract that with a damage claim. But Gul said that due to his unemployment, because he's retired now, and because there is a sole reliance on just his pension, he was constrained in pursuing such claims. Like you have um, a rent-a-car business, you have Mercs, Corollas and Hilexes just out there in your backyard, but you can't register a damage claim? Yeah, obviously the income is coming in, even if he's retired or whatever, he has a business. So plus pension. I don't plus pension. So I'm really not thinking that money is the issue here. 
it's because Nobody he doesn't have he doesn't have enough evidence i guess to make a claim that this is a falsely created story or there's any sort of involvement of the police trying to frame his family it's all just in his mind and it's yeah. purely just an excuse yep exactly so he says that the process itself of like registering a damage claim is like 50000 rupees which is a very big financial burden but just like you said he's still getting income from the rent car business he still gets pension if you're so hell bent on this thought that the police are against you and they're falsely accusing you of things that you're innocent of then register that damn damage claim what's wrong yeah. you yeah but just like you said he's using it as an excuse but it it's a weak one it's a weak excuse yeah. for sure basically throughout the interview there was just constant putting down the police saying that this is propaganda against him and his family so when the interviewer probed gol about the murder of fida the transgender the hijra stating that there were three witnesses who had testified against ali gol turned around and said that nothing was mentioned about any eyewitnesses in the list of evidence that was submitted to him and if there is an eyewitness then that should have been added into that list so he can cross examine it and he can basically defend his son against it wait is gul mohammed representing him sorry representing his son as his like lawyer what's going on here it did kind of mention that he was an advocate as well mm, isn't that like a conflict of interest yeah but i think he basically what he meant by this was that this eyewitness that you're talking about or these three eyewitnesses if that was real then our lawyers would have known it would have been a part of because obviously you know when a case starts both lawyers get everything related to that case yeah so i think his way of turning it around was like what eyewitnesses if that was factual it would be in the list of evidence but it's not there so i think what happened here was that whether that list was given to him or not which it was i i i think it was everything is just about just deflection yeah that's that's so weak so following ali's arrest the discovery of a white corolla in ali's possession raised suspicion and the interviewer obviously asked gul what do you say about that but gul completely avoided that question he completely just switched the conversation to it's all false that they just this is propaganda my son is not involved in any such crimes parents like this that enable their children that's what they do they enable their children by coming to their defense even though i'm sure he is 100% certain that his son was involved in all of the charges against him he's mm-hmm. still defending his son and i just mm-hmm. i don't understand 
And there's a lot of parents like that. It's actually quite sad, but I don't even know what it is like narcissism. I don't know what it is, but where they just cannot admit that their children were in the wrong, especially when it comes to anything criminal. It's just like, no, my child could never. Whereas they know that it is totally a possibility. In this case, there's evidence and still he's denying it. Mhm. I agree. But I can tell you hands down in the desi community enabling male behavior like this mm-hmm. is ha 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 wo to ladka hai he's just a boy you know it's it's a male thing it's a guy thing god forbid a girl does even 3% of what the guy does she's a slut ye kharab hai she she's she's from a bad family we have a lot of what you're saying enabling the abuser yep just because he's your damn blood don't do that do not enable violence do not cover up such acts it's insane it's ins- i cannot even like i don't know just yeah. sad and there you're right there's that double standard where as the son does something and he can get away with it literally get away with murder but the daughter does something or forget actually doing something being accused of doing something so it's not even proven and then there's that whole oh she's dishonoring our family let's just kill her yeah. it's such a problem it's such a problem in our like this desi society i wish it wasn't like this but this has been happening for like centuries So I do want to mention over here I was going to mention it a little later but since we're on goal I want I think this is the right time to put this in in 2002 Gul Muhammad had assisted Amber Sultana in securing a government school teaching position okay but then in 2012 Gul Muhammad who at that time was 70 years old and he was a retired executive district officer was arrested on December 5, 2012 for the alleged abduction of a woman so he it was the same amber sultana i think in between you know initially in the initial years i think he was just pursuing her trying to get her on his good side trying to like get you know the gold vibes out and then and then Initially the first thing he did was when she rejected his proposal he stopped her salary because he had the power to he was the executive district officer and i think he made like trouble for her to kind of like make her sway more into his direction but that didn't work okay then there was a legal battle amber successfully had her salary reinstated eventually december 5th he got frustrated He asked his son-in-law and his son-in-law's friend to go bring her. They abducted her, brought her to the apartment, tortured her, raped her. She called the police, and then they were arrested. But I think it's important to like kind of show that this is Gul's mentality. This is what Ali is growing up around. This is one case that has come out. Ali is not making complete sense, but now I can like connect the dots. You know. But you know they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You heard that, right? Yeah, very true. Very true in this case. And Nas wait. Gul 
was very well connected right so he was granted bail on account of his age okay the other two were sent to prison but because he was 70 they were like oh you just pay some money and you know go on your merry way so when did the justice system look at age no 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 it's not because of the age it's because he was influential it was because he was a part of the government it was because he was backed by a political party age was just the excuse he was very well connected which is why he got off scot free ali got off scot free how can both father and son get away with all of these crimes i think that kind of makes ali feel invincible like you said in the last episode that he feels invincible he feels nothing can touch him so what if he gets caught his daddy will bail him out oh my god because his daddy himself has been bailed out probably multiple times that's just disgusting yeah this is very upsetting to hear how power and money can change justice the verdict justice the whole concept of being fair Yeah. Sad reality, unfortunately. Now we're going to move on to Umair's interview. During Umair's interview, he revealed the unsettling truth about his partnership in criminal exploits with Ali, spanning 7 to 9 months. Umair is actually owning up to his crimes here. Mhm. He's a mechanic. Mechanic in Pakistan is very different from a mechanic carpenter abroad people with not a lot of education tend to become mechanics or carpenters or painters so they're not very well off his immediate thing was confess get it all out there be upfront because i don't have no daddy to save me that's true everybody's not that lucky i guess So he confessed that together they had committed over 40 criminal acts which encompassed robberies and thefts 40 my goodness so I wonder what else they've done and I wonder what else was unreported yeah it's scary to think about furthermore Omer in a very confessional tone bore witness an alarming number of violent acts including 10 to 15 instances of rape all executed by Ali. I think that's accurate, but is that the truth? I guess that we won't know. That's the thing. We would never know. So Omar wanted to make it very clear that he was just a spectator. He goes on to say, "Quote, I feel sorry for those who got raped. I don't feel bad about the robberies we committed, but Ali shouldn't have raped those women." I would oh. tell him, "Don't do this, Ali." but he'd be so high he wouldn't listen to me the women would be crying and screaming but ali showed no mercy on god okay big man really i have so much to say here first of all i would tell ali stop don't do this uh hello what about reporting him to the police okay you could have stopped it right then and there if it was so out of your moral compass and you know all of that number 1 number 2 um There was no mention of drugs in this case but it, you're saying that in this interview Mer says Ali was so high meaning there was some kind mm-hmm. of drug involvement. Yeah, hash. Lots of hash. Oh, great. <laughs> so so this case it covers it all. Make, 
Like, is there anything left? <laughs> yeah, it's just insane. I did not think Nas that when I was doing the white roller case, it would get this intense. And I think even this number that he says, 10 to 15 instances of rape. Okay, Omar, right. We believe you. And for 15 rapes, you told him don't do this. For 15 rapes, that's 15 times you asked him to stop, yet you didn't really do anything. Omer is quite something. I can see why Omer and Ali are friends. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. Although one might have the status and the influence with his father and all of that, and the other one doesn't, unfortunately, but they still have the same sick and disgusted mentality, and they're both equally at fault here. Exactly. I don't care if you didn't take part in the rape. You were in the car. You did not stop it. You let it happen 10 to 15 times with 10 to 15 different girls. Mm -hmm. You are as guilty as Ali. Yep. So here's the twist. When asked about the consistency between Omer and Ali's statements, which I will get to in a minute, Gul Mohammed said that the police had basically forced them to admit to these crimes. He went on to say that the police beat and torture you to confess what they think is true. However, when the interviewer provides evidence of Ali's involvement in the crimes related to the white parola gang, Gul retaliated by saying that once you're in police custody, even the innocent are forced into fitting the narrative of the police. Gul really insists that the police had something to do with this. I just don't understand yeah. this uncle's mindset. Do not understand Gul's mindset. And here, like, Ali himself is saying, yes, I did it. And Gul is saying, no. Now it comes to that part of the episode, which I have to give a warning to all our listeners. Ali's interview includes extremely triggering and uneasy content. Specific details of his acts will not be disclosed, but this unsettling feeling is just due to his responses. So are you ready for this, Nas? Yeah, I wanna I wanna hear this guy's voice. The interview with Ali starts off with where the interviewer was welcomed with a warning stating, quote, there will be a day when you and I will meet outside. Pray that we never come face to face once I am release. Wow. I can't believe he made a threat to the interviewer. Wow. He sounds so nonchalant. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So entitled. So I entitled. Understand. I don't understand. He doesn't have any remorse in his voice. Mm-mm. No remorse. The calmness in his voice during the interview was undeniably frightening, especially when he admitted to the crimes for which he was arrested. He acknowledged the validity of his arrest, also claiming that the police should have caught him sooner. He also stated that his actions were due to being in a constant state of drug-induced intoxication, claiming, quote, I am always high on drugs. And I may have done what I did when I was high. I don't remember. Well, just because you were high on drugs doesn't give you a free pass to do whatever you want. I mean, that itself mm-hmm. is a crime. Why are you high on drugs all the time? 
and where are you getting them? You're implicating yourself by not only committing these crimes, but also saying that you're high all the time. You don't remember. Why is this guy so calm? So calm. He is such a psycho. Yeah. And he says it with like such such a the police should have caught me sooner. I have done these crimes, but they should have caught me sooner. Like it's the police's fault for not catching him sooner. This is actually so upsetting. Like it's funny. That's how upsetting it is, you know? Yeah, because uh, it, it makes you so angry. It makes you so uneasy that you don't know what to do, but kind of laugh. Yeah, exactly. The paradox emerged when Ali, in the same breath, professed his fear of God and then fully acknowledged his actions. This contradiction raises a perplexing question. How can one express a fear of a higher power while committing such evil crimes against innocent individuals. He claims he's not fearful of the media nor the police and the only thing he is fearful of is God. I do it. I don't do it in front of you. I don't do it in front of you. I don't do it in front of you. I just do it in front of Allah's justice. That means if he's truly fearful of God, then why the hell did he do what he did? I, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe he was so high on drugs he thought that God was taking a day off. <laughs> I I do not understand this guy's mentality and I'm glad. When Ali was confronted by the interviewer regarding this apparent contradiction, Ali responded with a sense of irritation saying, it's not like I did it every day. I would do it once in five days. Sometimes once in 10 days, sometimes after two days. I didn't do it every day. Oh, wow. Thank you for being such a great guy. <laughs> ah, thanks for not doing it every day. Like irritated. Like... You know, like, I would lose my shit if I was that interviewer, honestly. I'm so glad I'm not a reporter, like a real reporter. (laughs) But a person like this guy would get under my skin so quickly. I would just flip. I agree. I think there's a reason why mostly our media, our journalists are men. Because Mm -hmm. I I don't think we could keep our emotions in check. Especially when this guy is being so, mm-hmm, yeah, I did it. Oh, why are you asking me? I mean, I only did it like once in every five days. I didn't do it all the time. Okay, that's true. I feel like women would not be able to contain their emotions. That's for sure. Yeah. Then the interviewer he asked Ali, "Are you confessing to all of this while you're in your senses without any force or pressure?" Ali replies, still very irritated. No one needs to pressure me to say anything. I've told you, I don't fear you. I only fear God and Prophet Muhammad. His response, his demeanor, 
throughout the interview it baffles me i mean if he's this afraid of god then seriously i don't see why he would do what he's doing and i okay forget that he did it fine maybe deep down he is remorseful or he truly had no idea what he was doing okay but then the irritation with with which he's talking and the lack mm-hmm. of humility or embarrassment empathy. and empathy it's just like so then you don't even fear god you know like that's the thing that's that's the contradiction how can you have fear of god and then in that same breath be like yeah i committed it no big deal i didn't do it every day why are you questioning me the way you are like what during the interview ali was asked if he sold the mobiles or watches for cash he said he never sold the watches or mobiles he robbed if he liked a mobile he would use it himself or the stolen watches he would wear them for his office meetings at the rent a car business proudly wearing the interviewer asked him what about the jewelry that you stole what would you do with that so ali confessed that he would go to sadar sadar is basically the center or the downtown of karachi and you can buy everything under the sun there for extremely cheap prices and in fact robberies are very common in karachi specifically whatever stolen can be sold no questions asked so just so that you get a clearer picture of this ali would sit in his black mercedes benz with a fancy green number plate that read advocate high court because his father is said to be an advocate it's in green to show everyone else and the police that this is a government car don't touch it don't stop them no traffic rules apply to them and then he would drive from defense where he lived to sadar which is 9 kilometers to sell the stolen jewelry all while being in this police and authority protected vehicle all mm-hmm. thanks to his father yep i mean i know our audience can't see me right now but i'm literally shaking my head in disgust thank so you're not doing it for the money because you don't need the money you're clearly doing it for fun that's a thrill for the excitement because you can because you can get away with it uh when they were finally arrested the police found two 9mm pistols a variety of purses and wallets 60 rolex watches oh my god 60 does that mean that they were targeting like really rich people cuz how do you get 60 rolex watches do is the average pakistani have a rolex <laughs> no the average pakistani doesn't it does not make sense it does not add up to the number of victims that omar or ali confess to having you do get fakes which look very real first copies but i'm not going to i can't say that all 60 were fake so i think that maybe march 2008 is when we think all of this started but maybe he was robbing people through a different medium like maybe it wasn't with this you know white white corolla or whatever but 
Maybe he was robbing people through other means and that's why now he has a collection of 16. When I was researching there was also this copycat gang which I don't know if he had involvement in or not because I didn't see his name there. But they basically had robbed 15 houses back to back in defense where they robbed them of laptops, jewelry, cash, wallets, everything all gone. So I'm really when I was researching this case I was really confused. I was like is he a part of that? Like this is where the numbers just don't add up. And so maybe what maybe he did have more than one gang. And maybe they yeah. had more than one technique and motive. Yeah. Or um I believe that. I believe like you're saying it happened way before than March. And I also believe that it wasn't just cruising and just stopping. I think it probably started that way, but I think it did escalate to stopping people while they were driving into their house or stopping people while they were parked outside their house. I think that also was a part of it. But it I can't be, say for sure. Could it also be that they actually did select their victims and all along we thought it was random? But the thing is if you're targeting people in defense in Clifton, you know for sure This is where the wealth is. But like I said, does every wealthy individual in that part of Karachi wear a Rolex? Yeah. <laughs> most of them, most of them that I know do. Yeah. Oh no, in Karachi you'll see individuals walking around with diamonds and gold and Rolexes and in their big cars with a whole platoon of policemen behind them protecting them, bulletproof cars. I just feel there was a reason why he targeted DHA and Clifton and not let's say Kurangi or Gulshan which still has wealthy people there too but the creme of the creme is in DHA okay was in DHA apart from the purses the wallets the 60 Rolex watches they also come found jewelry worth millions of rupees cell phones and ATM cards from various banks And surprisingly, Naz and all our crime fanatics, I have not even mentioned the worst part of this interview yet. Oh boy. What's that now? So, Ali, he apologized during the interview. But Ali's apology was directed solely to his family with no acknowledgement or remorse expressed. towards the victims and their families he says quote i apologize to my family i humbly apologize to my family if they are watching this when the interviewer asks would you like to apologize to your victims ali states i am asking forgiveness from god i won't apologize to women in front of god what is the status of a woman nothing Okay. So I don't need to apologize to any woman. There's a lot of respect for women in the religion of Islam, that is for certain. He says, "Aurat ki kya aukat hai? What is the status of a woman? Kuch nahi, nothing. So I do not need to apologize to any woman. Like running out of words for how I feel about this guy. Ladkiyon ki main haath paon to nahi jodunga. Theek hai. اللہ سے معافی مانگ رہا ہوں تو لڑکی کی کیا اوقات ہے ختم میرے لیے کچھ بھی نہیں ہے لڑکی اللہ اور رسول سے معافی مانگ رہا ہوں لڑکی کیا ہے ختم لڑکی کیا ہے ختم گاڈ ون آئی لائک ون آئی ہرڈ دس 
I really just wanted to even though I was watching him through a laptop I wanted to grab hold of his neck and squeeze it as hard as I could and say yeah hai oh god yeah this is the status woman I was really bursting with anger and repulsion and I'm in that moment right now and I'm sure you Nas and anyone else who's listening will be like is do you have no shame so none it's got no remorse and sympathy or empathy or he doesn't even really acknowledge that he's done anything wrong so when somebody is that far removed from reality you can't have any expectations from that person didn't he have a wife you also said he has a daughter is that right yeah yeah so if ladki ki koi aukat nahi hai then he has two women or two females in his life who have absolutely no value and no relevance so again he's not all i don't think he fully understands what he's saying like he's so far removed from reality he has no idea what he's saying yeah but are narcissists like that yep classic sign. they believe their own reality they they believe they're above everyone else they believe everyone's beneath them and i think this is why earlier on in the first part of this episode i did kind of mention that i would want to know what his relationship with his mother was like mm-hmm. because it would kind of maybe give you a little insight into why he thinks that women are of no status no value maybe his father treated his mother like absolute crap it clearly shows that there is this keep women underneath your feet which unfortunately is very common in pakistan mm-hmm. that mindset going on in their house and men can get away with everything just horrible and if this hasn't left you feeling disgusted by this guy already this is how he ended the interview so he's openly threatening the interviewer on i'm assuming national tv mhm quote if my pictures are leaked or published then you are starting a war with me i will be your worst enemy if you publish my pictures aur meri aapse ye request hogi ki meri tasveer nahi aani chahiye agar tasveer aayi to main aapse khula keh raha hu ki meri aur aapki dushmani hai bilkul khula aapki inki meri dushmani hai fir so we are now at the last bit of our episode Naz you've been waiting for this the verdict in Jan 2009 Ali and Omar were booked in for at least 45 cases of rape attempt to murder and robbery 45 cases now mm-hmm. the culprits were described by the investigators as repulsive criminals who drove around in a white Toyota Corolla car robbed families raped women and even transgenders who were often seen begging on the roadside the two were charged with murder robbery disgracing women and carrying illicit weapons but not rape wait excuse me mhm you heard that right no rape no rape Imtiaz Khan, a staffer at the court where Ali and Umair were being tried, stated, "Quote: This is merely because no rape case was lodged 
against them. The police officer in charge of this case stated that the victims had shared their stories with the police, but not every rape victim was comfortable or wanted to register an FIR. And again, this is very common in countries like Pakistan. Unfortunately, women and girls who are raped are victim blamed with the fear of being ostracized. Many victims may not have even lodged a complaint and those who did were probably discouraged by their families as it would tarnish the family's reputation and name. So out of like the 15-ish known sexual assault cases within this case itself within this white corolla gang not even one person came forward and said now that they're in custody and now that there's going to be a case built against them maybe i should just mention that you know i was also sexually assaulted but that's the thing nas this whole concept of victim blaming culture that we have in pakistan it stops victims from coming forward because even though it's not their fault whether they were out alone or whether they were dressed in a certain way the blame is never on the culprit it is always on the victim and this victim blaming culture has got to change so that victims come out and report being sexually harassed or raped that means there are probably thousands and thousands of people females in Pakistan who have had some form of sexual abuse or violence committed against them and they have been living with that their entire life and have not been able to get any justice for the injustices committed against them yeah unfortunately i can understand why women did not want to lodge an fir Again, you can't see me, but I'm really shaking my my head hard. <laughs> I'm sure it's so upsetting. It is so upsetting because in other countries there is some sort of justice given. When I hear cases where they say, "Oh, you know, only five years or only ten years," I'm just like, "Oh my God, how lucky! <laughs> how lucky that it's five years. We don't even get that." So then, what punishment did these guys get? even though the police completed their investigations and submitted the charge sheets against the two in nearly all the cases by february 2009 the trial continued it took the court nearly 6 years to find the duo guilty of robberies in seven cases even robberies took this long imtiaz the court staffer said There was a total of 250 witnesses including victims who were named but most of them failed to appear in court. He stated quote people believe that testifying against the suspects will land them in trouble unquote. On average the court heard one witness a month with around 70 witnesses still left. If the court maintained the same pace it would have taken 5 years for all the cases to be heard and decided so in response ali appealed and claimed that he was innocent 
and being victimized by his father's political rivals. Before I disclose his final verdict, we haven't covered the murder of Fida, the Hijra. With respect to the murder of Fida, Ali and Umair denied having any involvement in that murder, although there were witnesses present at the time Fida was shot. The post-mortem report stated that Fida suffered from firearm injury on her left nipple showing the wound of entry. Her heart was punctured and showed the track bullet on the back of the right chest. There was no doubt that the accused was murdered by the use of a firearm. The way you're describing her post-mortem report, it feels like purely like revenge. Vengeful, yes. There were three eyewitnesses to the crime. Out of the three eyewitnesses, only one who was Khawar Abbas was examined because the remaining two who I who identified the accused before the magistrate could not be examined as both had left their residence with no forwarding address. God, they were probably threatened. Most probably. Khawar stated that when Ali shot Fida, he was only 10 paces away from Ali and the area was opposite a hospital that was fully lit. Therefore, Khawar got a very good view of Ali. When this came up, Ali appealed by saying, how do you know it's me? This is a trans witness. So this is a statement Khawar gave. Wow. Furthermore, Ali's cap was found at the scene, at the crime scene near Fida's body. And that was sent for DNA testing to cross-check if it matched Ali's DNA sample, which it did. So in 2015, the appeal that Ali had submitted was rejected and Ali was convicted and sentenced with imprisonment for life. He also had to pay a fine of a merely 50,000 rupees for the murder of Fida Hussain. 50,000 rupees is nothing, but the life sentence is huge, nothing. actually. Well, if he truly has to spend that time, then that's a big deal. And if he does not, because his father's connections, mm. then that's a whole other issue. Mm -hmm. I think although the verdict does favor the victims, well, Fida, I cannot guarantee you that he is in prison. So you're saying there's a chance that even now, 2024, he is out of jail already? Mm -hmm. I think it's possible. In July 2016, the two men faced convictions in approximately seven cases, but were acquitted in twice that number, with several cases still pending. For certain offenses, they were handed 15-year jail sentences. So as of the present moment, concerning the just the robberies, both individuals have completed their jail sentences and would have been released last year in 2023. However, due to the imprisonment linked to murder, Ali should still be in prison. Despite a rejected bail application, there are speculations that due to his father being well-connected, his legal team might have identified loopholes in the murder case, potentially leading to a lighter sentence. So we don't know. But it's very upsetting. And you know, 
this whole build up of the case and the details of the case and just there's so much focus on gul and how gul even escaped a very similar crime right the build up was such where i try to prepare you guys to the end which is um it's not looking pretty is this gul uncle still alive and kicking i love how you're calling him gul uncle <laughs> i don't know there is no mention of his death or anything so i think he's still alive and kicking great but i do want to like end this episode with with survivor statements people who thankfully outsmarted ali and were able to escape so victim 1 i live on main kamani bahariya and my mother lives on the other side of the street some nights ago i had just made a u turn and was parked outside my mother's place when a white corolla pulled up and the man in the car pointed a gun at me at first i pretended that i hadn't seen him but when he started tapping on my window with a gun i reacted on impulse and sped away before he could react all the while blowing the horn which is so smart they chased after me but when they saw that i was attracting a lot of attention they drove away yeah, so blow the horn yeah just keep it going non stop it'll get somebody's attention exactly and it saved her victim 2 my husband our daughters and i were all in the car returning from a dholki which is a small wedding event and we were on khabane shaheen just about to turn into our street when we noticed a white corolla speeding behind us as if it was going to hit us my husband slowed down to let him pass suddenly my daughter screamed that the man in the car now next to us had a gun in his hands without thinking i told my husband to just drive the car kept following us but since we were familiar with the area my husband pulled up in front of a house where he knew there were guards outside so the car drove away also very smart so another tip if you're being followed either go to a police station or go to an area where you know will have guards or police but jihan in terms of this specific incident there mm-hmm. was a child in the car now i'm i'm feeling even more like there might have even been some minor victims we don't know the names of the victims obviously we don't know who they were i'm just hoping that he is actually in jail same So in January 2021 in the northern part of Karachi the white corolla gang resurfaced and targeted 15 bungalows over the weekend the decoys fled the scene in a white corolla vehicle taking away jewelry and cash however it appears that this gang is a mere copycat and unfortunately this wasn't the only copycat gang so to conclude this case I must mention that as of 2024 Ali's whereabouts remain unknown but Karachi seems to have been freed from the terror of the white corolla gang at least I hope it is you listeners 
let us know what you think do let us know about how you found this case it was a little long there were a lot of details to cover to give you the complete picture and with that thank you for listening to crime stories of pakistan everyone if you're finding our podcast enjoyable a quick tap on the heart or like button would do wonders for our channel please and thank you also please share your case suggestions in the comments or email us at crime stories of pakistan at hotmail.com and as always folks keep those detective hats on your curiosity bubbling like a fizzy drink and make sure trouble stays in the rearview mirror mhm until our next rip roaring episode your host jehan and naz are about to hit the road catch you on the flip side crime buffs bye for now tata Thank you.